let's go ahead and get started. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time when we have to look at the Ten Commandments and continuing our time of catechesis. And um, uh, may we, may we uh, be aware of and see our Christian duty in Jesus' name. Okay, well, let's, um, we're running a little late, so, yeah, let's go ahead and sing. We'll sing, we'll sing, um, one verse of, of Christ for the world as we sing, and then we'll get into the, the, the confirmation. Christ for the world we sing, the world to Christ we bring, with Gosh, that feels so um, truncated because it is. All right, um, we are going to pick up with the Ten Commandments on uh, what was that? Page three, the bottom um, second half of page three, and we'll go ahead and do this whole section and then pick up where we left off. So, um, page three. Oh yes, yeah. Everybody has one. Okay, good. Okay. Um, you stated earlier that your godfathers and godmothers promised on your behalf that you would keep God's commandments. Tell me how many are there? There, there are ten, ten and, and they, they are recorded in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. What are these ten commandments and how are they presented in Exodus? We, we read, God spoke these words and said, I am the Lord your God. shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. 
or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is strangers. What important things do you learn from these two commandments? I learned two basic things, my duty towards God and my duty towards my neighbor. What is your duty towards God? My duty towards God is to believe in Him, to be reverent towards Him, to love Him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength, to worship Him, to give Him thanks, to put my whole trust in Him, to call upon Him in prayer, to honor His holy name and His word, and to serve Him truly all the days of my life. What is your duty towards your neighbor? My duty towards my neighbor is to love him or her as I love myself, and to do to others as I would have them do unto me, to love, honor, and provide for my father and mother, to honor the civil authorities and obey the laws of the state, to submit myself in the Lord to all who have authority over me in home, church, state, and education to conduct myself humbly and appropriately in all my dealings with others, especially with those older than I am, to hurt nobody by either word or deed, to be true and just in all my dealings with others, to bear no malice or hatred in my heart, to keep my hands from pilfering and stealing, and my tongue from speaking evil, and telling lies and slandering others, to keep my body under self-restraint by acting soberly and in purity, not to cover or desire what belongs rightfully to others, and to do my duty where God shall place me today and in the future, and whatever he calls me to do. Okay, so last week we briefly talked about the concept of duty. We talked about the different ways the Ten Commandments can be divided, how ours tends to follow the uh, more Reformed tradition um, as opposed to the um, Lutheran or the Catholic or the uh, even the Jewish way of dividing them up. And um, we touched a little bit on the first two commandments. Um, so the uh, first commandment, uh, forbidding poly polytheism, right? The second commandment, forbidding idolatry, and of course those two things are very closely tied together. Um, one of the ways that idolatry works in the pagan world is um, what's sometimes called sympathetic magic. That's what my, uh, my professors used to call it. The idea being um, you do something nice for that idol, then the god who is behind the idol is obligated to do something nice for you, and vice versa. It's kind of almost like a voodoo doll is the, uh, is the, is the idol. Um, but that, but so it's a very manipulative quid pro quo sort of relationship, uh, idolatry and paganism, and we are not to treat God in that way. Um, okay, uh, let's look at number three. So number three being, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, uh, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so that's going to be, um, if the first two commandments are about giving undue reverence to that which doesn't deserve that reverence, this is then not giving enough reverence to that which does deserve the reverence, right? Um, so uh, careless or profane use of holy words and, and uh, by extension holy things, um, by uh, uh, failure to recognize sacredness in life. Um, and that's, 
that can be that can be a big problem um, in in our very uh, informal culture. Uh, we don't tend to have this concept of sacred space as much in our wider culture. Sacred people, even even something as simple as you know addressing um, someone older than you by misses and miss. It just doesn't happen very much anymore, which is which you know much much less um, you know doing doing uh, things. Um, sacredly in in in, a, in church and that sort of deal. Um, we of course have a very uh, a much more um, we have, we have a much higher concept of that here at All Saints. Um, that's just kind kind of the uh, tradition that, that that when I became rector I received and I'm glad I did because it's it's nice to have that chapel as a sacred space. It's really good. Um, so yeah. That's number three, and of course, um, specifically though, talking about that misuse of God's name. So in some ways, you know, when I was a kid, we usually thought about this in terms of um, using God's name almost like a swear word, word, you know, swearing by it in that kind of profane sort of way. Um, and, but, but I think what we see even more than that in the Old Testament context, in the context of the scriptures as a whole, is where you... Um, uh, Use God's name in false oaths, or um, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're being dishonest while representing God. Um, those are other ways that his that that um, his name can be used in vain. Um, you know, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but even kind of like when um, you know someone driving around their Christian fish bumper sticker, you know, flips off a driver that they don't like, you know. <laughs> there is a sense where that is profaning God's name because, you know, you're, you're, you're bearing the name of Christ, you're, you're putting it out there and then acting in a way which is so very, very unchristlike. Um, so that is a way that can, that can happen. Um, but we definitely see this most commonly manifest in um, what... Uh, the, the fellow that wrote the Catechism Explained calls an irre, irreligious secularism. Um, an irreligious secularism. The soul may be vulgarized and rendered incapable of any sense of the divine. Yeah, I mean, you know, ignoring the sacred does deaden our souls. It deadens our, our ability to sense the sacred. Uh, questions, questions, comments on number three? Yes. Question. Uh, as we said that, I can't remember what the scripture, chapter and verse, but it's where it says, "Let your yes be yes, your no be no," because they were swearing oaths to God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that. That I believe is in the Beatitudes, if memory serves. Uh, so Matthew five, six, seven, somewhere in that range. And um, so Jesus says, "Okay, you know." Um, the way things are going, okay, if you swear by the temple, well, then your oath, you don't have to hold up your oath. But if you swear by the money in the temple, well, that's more holy than the temple itself. Uh, you know, then you have to keep your oath, you know. That, um, and, and, and Jesus is like, okay, look, you know, you're, you're, you're setting up this ridiculous hierarchy of when you can um, back out of an oath. Um, you know, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. By making these oaths, um, in, in that irre, irreverent, um, that, that almost casual way. And there is a certain, especially in their culture, but really in, in, in any of, you know, any oaths really ultimately is in some sense swearing by the Lord. 
you know, how we, we said, well, I swear to God this was true, you know, that kind of thing. And we can do that so casually that, um, that really is, um, is, is violating this in some way. And what Jesus is saying, look, you know, you, you ought to have the kind of integrity as people of God that is such that simply by agreeing to it, people know that it's it just it's as good as if you did swear by, by the Lord. You know, and that's so that's kind of the um, the uh, yeah the law behind the law or the um, the principle behind the law. Okay, number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, um, and so. Uh, yeah, that, this is this is a tough one too. Um, we we ought to set aside time to be dedicated to the Lord, and part of that's because we need the rest. Um, part of it's also we need that reminder uh, for it to be God's time. Um, there were times in our particular tradition and some of the circles where they were very, um, as they would call it, Sabbatarian. They would um, they would get you know okay, well you know we. There, there would be pressure from the church on the postal service not to run on Sundays or the trains not to run on Sundays and that sort of thing because you need to, you know, you need to take this commandment seriously. Um, that's probably getting a little bit more on the um, uh, focusing on the letter over the spirit. But I do think there can we, we can by, by having a certain. Um, uh, you know, remembering that, that this is not just a figurative thing, that can be very helpful. Um, you know, we've been, I, I've heard from people that work in, in service, uh, in, in, in waiting, uh, you know, as waitresses and, and that sort of thing, um, that their least favorite crowd is the post-church crowd. Uh, because the post-church crowd is grumpy and demanding and tips bad. And that is a terrible witness. You know, I mean, we're, and, and how often are we kind of doing this post-church sort of thing as a way of having our rest, but then we're, 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 we're acting in a very ungodly, ungodly and, and uncharitable, even if it's not strictly ungodly, it's certainly uncharitable way of doing things. So that's, that's a deal. But also, um, you know, there is, especially as, in a, in a, as we do have this advancing civilization, we are a more civilized more industrial, more work-oriented society, um, there is this pressure to always be about the business of the world. Um, and that's, that's not good for us. Um, it's not, it's not, it, that's the kind of thing where we can um, start to be serving mammon rather than God at that time. Um, so setting things aside is a good discipline, uh, setting time aside for the Lord um, is a good discipline. Um, you know, there's a problem when, uh, you know, sports, you know, the kids' sports takes part over church. That's a problem. It's common. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, that, that this, but, but nowadays, that's the pressure. And as parents and as students, sometimes you got to make the hard call on that. Um, you know, that's... Well, that's uh, yeah, and, and, and how that what that looks like in, in our different lives is going to look a little bit different. But I do think um, it's good not to let the world crowd out our focus on the Lord. And, and you know, I'm, I'm bivocational. That is something that is always a pressure, and, and I I feel that much more than I succeed. 
um, because yeah, I'm, I got that email from the client. I have to deal with that. Okay, why are you checking the email from the client on, on the day that you set aside to rest? Because I have to. What happened? Come on. You know, I mean, that's, it's, it's not good. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's the pressure. And I, I think most folks have that in some way or the other. Okay, um, let's see. Um, yeah, and then these, so these first four are, are generally called the first table of the law. I think in our prayer books, they are actually on one page, and then the other six are on the other page. Um, and I think that was done intentionally. I'm told that the standardized typeset for the 28 was very intentional, and it actually won some awards in its day. I don't know the details of that. I've just, I've just read that kind of in passing. But this first table of the law are those things that really speak to our duty towards God. Um, let's look at the second table of the law. Number five. Oh, anything on number four or any of the first table before we move on? Okay. Cecily. Okay, so, um, yeah, let's talk about Saturday versus Sunday and then, then kind of some of the mindset generally for this fourth commandment. Um, certainly, uh, in the context of the Old Testament, the Sabbath is Saturday, right? Um, and, and there were very specific rules in the Old Testament for keeping the Sabbath um, it, to, to the point of, of, in the Torah, certain death penalties for violation um, of, of the Sabbath, who, how often that was carried out is another question. Um, we certainly see that happening once in the Torah, but in the rest of the Old Testament, it seems to have kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, the church very early on uh, began to worship on Sunday and in, in commemoration of the resurrection. And so... The rationale given in the Old Testament for the seventh day being set aside as the Sabbath was um, first as a, as a commemoration of um, creation, you know, that, that the Lord made, uh, made the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And then I believe the seventh one was in commemoration of the Exodus as well. Um, and I forget whether... The book of Exodus lists, you know, talks about one. Do Exodus and Deuteronomy both have the Ten Commandments, and one of them talks about it in commemoration of creation. The other one talks about it in commemoration of the Exodus. And the church, very, very early on, applied that to Sunday as seeing the resurrection of Jesus being the fulfillment of the goal of creation, the fulfillment of what is pictured in the Exodus. And so, um, it, you know, so Sunday became, um, in a way, the Christian Sabbath. Um, there are some people you'll talk to that don't like that term, um, but, but that's, that's certainly the way that, that the church did things from pretty much the first generation. We do see this principle in, in Paul, St. Paul's letters. I think this is in Colossians, but it might be in Corinthians, one of the first Corinthians Maybe it's in Romans. It's in an epistle. It is an epistle where um, Paul says, look, you're, you're, you're arguing about you know, holy days and Sabbaths. Um, those details are not what's important. Um, you know, one person considers this day holy and the other person considers all days the same. Um, that's between you and the Lord. Um, and, we, and we would give a caveat to that saying that there is an authority within the community, you know, that the church has authority to set customs. 
Um, and so the principle behind this really is set aside, setting aside some time as being sacred, set aside for God, so that we aren't um, always serving, um, pursuing that career, pursuing that education, those things of the world, but we're reminded that the Lord is the one who provides for us um, as we remember the resurrection. Um, so in terms of mindset, I don't think the um, almost legalistic approach that you would find from um, only looking at the Old Testament laws on the, on the Sabbath is, is, is a way to do things from New Testament perspective. I don't think that um, it's, there's, a, there's necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation. I think it's more we see some principles that need to be applied. Um, how that's going to look in different families is going to be different. We generally, um, just in our family, um, you know, Sunday's very much a work day for me, obviously. I mean, I'm here from, if I'm not the first one here, it's just because I've got some overachieving uh, vestry people that we love. <laughs> Uh, no, not really, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm here from 8.30 usually till, I'm usually one of the last to leave about 1.30 or 2, and almost the entirety of that is, is, is work. But that's part of, as the, as the clergy, as the priest, that's something that I do for you guys. So, um, what that ends up looking like in our family is Sunday afternoons, we just don't plan stuff. We don't get together with folk. We might, I mean, if someone wants to go out to eat, we might do that. But we're just too darn exhausted to do, we need the actual rest rest of it all. Um, that also means that I, I really try to set aside then Mondays as a day when I don't schedule things. It doesn't always work out. Um, in terms of setting it aside for God, that it, we do see that in the, in the gathering for public worship. I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge part of why we do what we do on Sunday mornings is recognizing that, that uh, this time does belong to God. Um, and, and I'll be, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, I find myself often so tired on Sundays that I am struggling to do my devotions uh, Sunday night. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the way it looks like in our family. And so that's one of the things that usually on a family-by-family -family basis, folks are going to figure out. When we were growing up, we were um, in the Messianic Jewish movement, and our congregation at the time worshipped on Friday nights. And if you'll remember from the Old Testament, they counted the day from sundown to sundown. So Sabbath begins in the, in the Old Testament eyes on Friday night. So we would open the, the Sabbath with, with, with the actual service itself, the worship service, um, folks would often go out to eat and, you know, kind of take it easy late into the night. But when we were growing up, um, we always made sure to, my, my dad insisted on this, we were going to have a time when we sat and read scripture as a family. And that was usually a pretty long time and, um, you know, a, a good chunk of time was set aside for that. Um, and so that, that was another way that that manifested for my family when we were growing up. Um, I think, yes, I, I do think that the, that the principle is less about the specific time. That said, um, 
I do think it's 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 very odd. It would be very odd for a church to say our worship day is Tuesday mornings or Tuesday. You know, that's our regular public worship service. That's just a major break with the way that again the church has done it forever. Um, there are you know some people just you know just because of the way their work goes they have to set aside a different day for it. You know, every pastor I know, they have to have their day off either Mondays or Fridays, and there's always an argument as to which day is better to do that. Um, Father Scott always takes Fridays. He says he's too drained on Mondays for it to be a good day off. I see some point in that, but I've got stuff scheduled on Fridays, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's odd. It's a, it's a weird juggling act. Um, my dad in the military, he only got two weekends off um, a month he was or two of the weekends he had to he had to work um you know because of what he did in the military and so but he always had monday off you know he set the schedule for his, for his whatever it is his little 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 department and so he always gave himself monday off um that meant unfortunately that he only made it to church with us half the times but when we started going friday nights then you know he had friday nights off so i mean i, I think i think yeah like you said that we set time aside is really the important thing. Um, recognizing that the church has always applied this commandment to that idea that we should be getting together for worship on Sundays. Yeah, uh, yes, Reese. The other thing on that is it's a communal thing. So yeah. Typically, yeah, as, yeah, traditionally we've always met Sundays or Saturdays or at the church. So to deviate from that means you're now breaking That's yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and you know, there's you know, a family doing the Bible study is not church. It's not the same thing as the as the, as the community of faith getting together to do church. Um, a bunch of friends meeting in Starbucks to do a Bible study is not the same as, as as church because there are some things you can't get in that setting that that we're supposed to do when we're gathered as the body of Christ. Um, you know, specifically the word in the sacrament. I mean, you might be able to do the word in some sense, um, but you're certainly not going to be able to do the sacrament without the, the body of Christ. Um, not not in any way that is historically consistent anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 true. That, that's one of the reasons why um, that continuity. You know, we, we, we do have, we, we, we are part of a body that, that spans time as well as place, you know, the, the body of Christ. Um, that communion of saints, and I think I think that's a really good point, Reese. Yeah. Over the last decade, I've noticed you know many congregations have worship service on Saturday as well for convenience. I think. For, I mean, that's what I get out of it. Now I'm finding that friends that I've had for years because I won't change because I go to church on Sunday. Yeah. And they go on Saturday. They just can't get over the fact that I won't go to that I will forego church to go with them. That is a little odd. Very odd. But I've noticed it in different congregations now, large, large congregations too. Yeah, so one of the things you do see... Yeah, you, you certainly see, um, and, and this is this is very common in, in Roman Catholic circles, when a, when a church gets big, and most Roman Catholic churches are pretty big, um, just because of the way their parish system works, and they don't have enough priests to go around, and so you consolidate what you have, right? Um, so if you have a big Roman Catholic church, 
almost always they're going to have a Sunday night service and three or four Sunday, or sorry, Saturday night services and three or four Sunday services, one of which is Sunday night. And some of that goes back to that evening, evening to morning principle. Um, and, I, and I certainly knew, you know, folks used to jokingly call the Saturday night one the, uh, the, the sinner's mass. <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to be, but they used to call that that. Um, and, and we do see that, that these days, this, this is a big cultural change. People, you know, are often skipping church, not because they're going to work or they're, going to, they're taking their kids to soccer, um, because they're going to brunch. They're sleeping in and going to brunch. And Father Barry and I were just talking about when we were at lunch yesterday how um, some kind of a new thing in, in church planting circles is this idea that 2 o'clock is, is the new 10 o'clock. Um, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays is the new 10 o'clock in the morning where um, kind of new and growing churches are finding that 2 o'clock slot, especially when it comes to the unchurched. Because I, I think I think when you're, when you're dealing with folks that have grown up in the church, Sunday morning is kind of sacrosanct. Um, and the only exception, well, no, that's not true either. Because I was going to say I, I, I had a friend that went to a kind of a punk rock church, and they always met at two p.m. But most of those were unchurched people. I mean, you know, that was they, they were they were all pretty new new Christians. And so yeah, that's 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 an interesting thing. Um, Saturday nights or Sunday afternoons. And, you know, most likely when we start our Spanish Mass, when Father Marcus is ready to do that, he's finished his doctorate and all that other stuff, um, that will be here either a Saturday night or a Sunday night, uh, you know, Saturday evening, Sunday afternoon or evening. Um, Father Rob over at Holy Trinity will tell you 4 p.m. is a terrible time to have, uh, to have it going on. And I, I think he's right. I mean, they've, just because they're borrowing facilities, that's kind of what they're, they're stuck with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a terrible time, uh, 4, 4 p.m. Um, but, you know, we're dealing with 2 p.m. It's after lunch. It's way before dinner. I mean, you're going to get out before dinner. You're going to start after lunch. It's not, you don't have some of those things. Okay, well, we are about five minutes over. Good, good talk. We'll pick up with the second table next week. I will see you all in Compline.